What's going on? And welcome back to Anybody and Everybody. I'm your host, Herm, and today I have got the man of Philadelphia, the goalie for your Philadelphia Wings, and someone that so many people after this interview are going to just look up to for inspiration on a daily basis. He is a real, true beauty, a representative of his community, and someone that I am just thrilled to share with you guys. His name is Chris Collins. He has all of the accolades in lacrosse you can imagine, and it was a pleasure getting to sit down with him. So I'm not going to keep you any longer. Without further ado, here he is, Chris Collins. I like to start these things off just going all the way back. And for you, it was easy for me because, and I said this before we started here, was you posted a picture last year of starting your box lacrosse journey, I guess, in Oshawa, Canada, which is where I also came across this wonderful game of box lacrosse. And mm-hmm. um, I just want to pick your brain. Was So you had played field lacrosse prior to obviously coming up to Canada and playing box and what what was experience going into it what were you looking forward to was that the first time you ever strapped on the pads so Yorktown New York I won't say the you know I won't say God's country but look in the mountains Hudson Valley New York beautiful place um lacrosse is the ticket out no doubt um not to say that you can't do anything else not to say that there isn't anything else but um I grew up in an era at a time where there was such an opportunity to seek a higher education and have lacrosse be your avenue. And, you know, you look at some of the big names in lacrosse today, you know, Paul Carcaterra, Rick Beardsley, you know, for example, those guys were neighbors. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, how could I not do this? You know? Um, but from a lacrosse standpoint, um, you know, I grew, grew up with a stick in my hands. Neighborhood, great neighborhood, like total thing that you would think of, like, you know, playing hide and seek at night, or I think we called it Ghost in the Graveyard. You know, <laughs> That's and awesome. all that cool stuff. But, um, you know, like it was like rad racing, like BMX bikes, skateboards, and lacrosse. And we saw a box across on TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You had the old mill on TV and you always had that ESPN two game. It was always like Buffalo versus the wings or something like that. And, um, there was like such an itch. I'd see that on TV more so than like the college playoffs and be like, that's sick. Like, I want to do that. Um, you know, my father took me to a New York saints game growing up and, you know, I watched Sal Ocasio on the pipes. And, oh, like, totally. Um, so that like that itch is where it started for me. Um, you know, thankfully that where I'm from, Hudson Valley, New York, there were all these all-star teams that um, would travel, you know, over the border, travel up north, and we would play in Toronto. We would play, um, you know, just north of Buff and St. Catharines and um, Niagara-on-the-Lake and all that. And we would go up there and total learning experience, and we would get pumped, no doubt. Of course. Pumped. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of those tournaments, it was great because – we would go up there, we would play like three or four box games, and then we would play three or four field games. So like, you would know the result when the Americans played the Canadians in field across, and then when we, when we went inside, it was the same thing. Right. Like 15 to two, 18 to one, and this and that. And um, you know, I remember the first time, we literally, we walked into the rink in Oshawa, awesome place, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know what I mean? And you know, you get on the rink, cement floor, and the glass and everything, you're like, all right, let's do this. And then you go to put the pads on and you're like, I, I don't, 
I don't know what I'm doing. Again, <laughs> I wasn't a hockey guy growing up or anything like that. Right. It was like, and they had one of their coaches obviously help us put the pads on and this and that. And, um, and there you have it. And there it started. And I'd never had such like a need or an itch for something. It was just so curious about it. Um, I will say that in that first game in warmups, I had got hit in the groin and you, we just had like a normal cup on. They never gave us like a hockey cup. Right. So I was like, fuck, I'm like, I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, that hurts so bad. <laughs> um, but like you could get a feel for it, you know what I mean? And making saves and kind of like flailing around. But like that was without like any teaching or coaching and there's some that. But um, so we go up there. I, I never forget that. You know what I mean? Um, Sean Lindsay and I, you know, my best friend growing up, Syracuse All-American pro guy himself. I think it was like 18 to two. And I mean, obviously I got shelled, but he had two goals and they were all behind the back goals. Like that's the only thing I remember. Yeah. And he's figuring out box pretty quick. If he's already going B to B. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, that's where it started. Um, and I do remember. So then again, we go up there the next year and we do a little bit better and I do a little bit better. The sad part was, is that we never had any box across between that event and the next event. Right. But with that experience, I'm like, all right, I feel a little comfortable. I'm, I think we can make this happen. And I got a little bit of a different stick this time. And um, I finally had a box jersey. Um, but I remember the first time we played, like, I, like, put my field jersey on over the pads. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was like a wet t-shirt contest. <laughs> like, right. It was like, it just wasn't fair. Um, and that's even when the pads are, like, super small. You know what I mean? For, like, bantam guys uh, and midget guys. Um, but that was... That was my first box across experience. I will never forget the first time walking into that building. Like I can still kind of picture and you know remember like the smells of like like being in there and what a box across dressing room smelled like, what the pads smelled like. Um, it's very distinct. Very distinct. And then you have like the sights and sounds of like basketball. You know what I mean? On the cement floor, mm-hmm. and you have like all the screeches with the sneakers, and like when the ball would like skip off the turf or the, the cement. You know for. Um, you know, and you know, the bang of the boards, the bang of the glass, like that was like, that was contagious. That was addicting. So we did that, um, every year moving on through high school, you know what I mean? We would go up there. So that is, and by no means do I feel like I had like a legit foundation for box across, but I knew the position. I knew I wanted more. Um, and again, like that's when it was like, um, you know, more and more on TV and you look at all the big names too. You, John Tavares, John Grant Jr. And I'm like, okay, like look at this Tommy Marichak. You look at, you look at all this, you're like, all right, this is something that, that I want to do always in the back of my mind. But I, you know, look, I was a field goaltender. You get it, you know? Um, and you know, but you know, looking back, you know, 20 plus years later, like that experience, you know, resonates with me to this day of, you know, is, you know, your first international experience, you know, you're playing in another country and you never really thought about that as a player. Right. Um, but you know, a different terminology and, you know, all the Americans are wearing field helmets and all the Canadians are wearing their box helmets. And it was just, and again, a totally different sport. And I think having that experience allowed me to have a better understanding of one going away to college and understanding something being totally different and then having Canadian teammates. Um, but that, that right there is what allowed me to really buy in and want more of that. Thankfully, I had that at such a young age, but I wish I had more of a quality experience like there is today. 
Right. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing seeing box across. It's growing every day in the States and people are starting to really buy into it. It's and unbelievable. It's, it's amazing. And it's kind of just the, the overall growth of lacrosse. But from so from day one, you've been in between the pipes, been a goalie and you've kind of known that was your calling. I was an offensive player growing up. Mm-hmm. Oh, guy through and through, you know, dabbled with, you know, being a D guy here and there. But our middle school team, we show up the first day of practice. We didn't have a goaltender. So we're all doing line drills and we're looking around and we're like, we don't, we don't have a goaltender. Um, Tell's like, all right, screw it. You know, I'll do it. You know, I'll play for the day. And there you go. And I loved it. Yeah. And I go home with a goalie stick, you know, that the school gave me. And uh, I forget if I took the bus home or if my mother picked me up from practice, but obviously moms are pretty, you know, pretty sharp. Right. Yeah. Um, Not, 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 not going to be able to sneak that goalie stick in the house without her noticing that. But uh, she's, you know, what's that? I'm like, I think I'm going to be a goalie. And she was like, no. <laughs> she was like, no. Um, and then I go through the whole thing. I think I put my hard sell on pretty good. I was like, Mom, we don't have a goaltender. You know, I was a quarterback in football. I'm like, it's kind of the same thing. Um, and so you, she, you have that. She has that. I will never forget that. Uh, that look in her eyes where she's like, going from being like a quarterback mom to now a goaltending mom. So it's like, um, she feels the brunt on her <laughs> shoulders much more than you do at the time. No doubt. And then goalie parents, you know, and again, that's, that's a whole nother conversation, but just like any mom, you know, looking out for their, looking out for their kid. Um, and it's kind of one of those things that's like, all right, you sure you really want to do this? Um, and you know, I shit you not literally a week later, you know, the, the great mom that she is, she goes down to, you know, sports barn, which is our, you know, local lock shop. And she buys me a goalie stick and that's it. And just never looked back. Never looked back. Never even thought about anything else. You know, um, you know, still to this day, live out my fantasy of being an O guy at heart. Yeah. But, you uh, sold me that at uh, LaxCon <laughs> when you were shooting on Rachel and them in between the net, at the, at the net and everything. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and you know, for me, from a coaching point of view, every goaltender I ever work with, I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, remember to honor your craft as a lacrosse player, not just a goaltender. Um, in fact, be a lacrosse player first and then be a goaltender. So, um, believe me, I think I spend more time with a short stick in my hands than a goalie stick. Do you ever get the boys? So, like, you guys do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shoots every week. Do you ever get, like, Blaze in between the pipes or, or uh, Matt? None of those guys I've never asked. And I know Blaze has strapped on the pads before, but nothing, you know, in any of our wings individual workouts or anything like that. I don't think I'd, I'm ready to relinquish that role to anybody else. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Plus, like, when, when we get together, I'm just like anything, it's time to go to work. Of course. Um, you know, not that we don't have fun while we, while, while we do get after and compete and, you know, maybe bet a little bit on who's going to score and who's not going to score type of thing. Um, it's important. That's what brings camaraderie and it's what grows your talent. Shit. And that's what we do. I mean, you play under pressure in front of thousands of people every week you might yeah. as well play under the pressure of making a little bet with your buddies at the oh, totally. from time to you know, time put put some sprints on the line put oh, some totally. pints on, put some pints on the line and that's you know the competitive nature of you know one being a te- you know being a part of a team you know two right now obviously one like the philadelphia wings but like those guys i mean i can't speak enough about them and again for most of those guys i had only really seen them on tv i'd never really played against them or coach against them um but having an opportunity to be teammates with those guys i mean you know matt rambo is as advertised he (laughs) is better in person and he's a fantastic teammate um and 
and you know he runs his mouth but he backs it up totally anybody who has anything to say about anybody you know i'm like at the end of the day i'm like a lot of those people will never have the experience that any of these guys have um but he's a baller um he's got a big bright future ahead of him team usa the whole thing you know if you you know a long time pro Trevor, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Something else. He's also just an amazing human. I mean, Fact. funny, funny guy. <clears throat> Fact. We're getting ready to have the boys over here for dinner next week. We always, you know, Em and I always host, you know, the boys for a team dinner and this and that, and just get over here and just laugh for, you know, oh, I'm sure for three hours. But um, to see Trev as an O guy and to see him develop as a D guy, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. He's the real deal. Um, and Blaze is a special case because his game, like his lacrosse IQ is through the roof. You know, I still learn things from him just by the way he talks about shooting and how it translates and all that. I mean, he's he's the real deal. And his story is super unique, too. Yeah, I mean, so this is kind of something I wanted to get into, too. He's obviously being a teammate with him is pretty sick because he's a guy who plays field as a goalie. And in the box game, he's a forward. So, I mean, there's, there's this kind of <coughs> stigma, I guess, that a lot of outdoor goalies feel as though they could strap up the box pads and you know do what you do and i think that i don't think they realize how difficult it is to throw on the box pads it's so much more than it looks like you're learning every every game from the various players that are on the floor i mean you play against a guy like sean evans as a goalie you probably take in 100 things that he did during that game that make you a better goalie for the next time you show up and you're playing against a team like I don't know, the bandits, and you have a guy like Dane Smith out there on the floor or something. So, I mean, what's kind of – you're a guy who's able to do it both. So what was the transition from field into box like, and what are the differences? There are so many levels of that question. Oh, yeah, I just hit you with like seven <laughs> questions in <So> one. <laughs> I will do my best to, one, to answer everyone. Um, but goaltending in general, the it is an art. There's an art to goaltending. And – the individual, the individuality of goaltending um, is one thing that makes our position so unique because what works for one goaltender may not work for this one. But if I take maybe tweak a little bit what this goaltender does and apply it to my game, it's, that's the one beautiful thing about our position. Let's talk about field across completely different foundation of teaching and structure and methods of success. Whatever you've been taught as a field goalie is completely irrelevant as a box goaltender. I like to not term it, but talk about it. In order to be successful in that league, you need to become you need to become a blocker first before you can be a stopper. And everything that you've been taught is attack the ball, get off your line, um, you know, top hand of the ball, step out to the shooter, over exaggerate your step, um, <clears throat> be aggressive. Where from a box across point of view, um, and I say this, I think every time I talk about it, you know, I always reference forgetting Sarah Marshall when they're getting <laughs> ready to, you know, when Paul Rudd is getting ready to teach Jason Siegel how to surf. Oh, yeah. And when he's like on the beach and they're not even in the water yet, and he's like, all right, pop up. And he's like, wait, you know, do less, do less. And he does it again. And he's like, nope, do less. That is how I start every goaltending clinic or conversation where it's like, Everything that we've been taught as field goalies, we now need to reinvent ourselves. Um, and it's really hard to do, especially uh, the older you get. Um, from a box across point of view, obviously understanding your stance, understanding your arc, sure, you can draw some parallels. But when it actually comes to saving the ball, the concept is literally standing there and letting the ball hit you. 
letting the ball come to you. Not a lot of movements involved. You might have some six inch movements here and there, but the basic concept is to sit back and let the ball come to you and let the ball hit you. Um, if you applied your field mentality to a smaller net, uh, you'd be moving out of the way of the ball every single time. Um, I think that's the biggest misconception where a lot of even fans, but like field goalies in general, kind of look at the box game and they look at the goaltenders and say, well, they're not doing anything. They're not moving. You know, uh, they're really not making saves. Well, that's the beauty of the position where it's, you need to sit back, you need to hold your ground. I won't say play a game of chicken, you know, but for lack of a better phrase, like that's ultimately what you're doing. You're letting the game come to you. And sure, you're going to move here and there. But the beauty of it is waiting out all those fakes, standing tall. You know, you move just slightly and the ball's going to the net. You know, your indoor game, you know, on the flip side has an exponential effect on your field game in terms of reading shooters, release points, doing less, your tracking ability, all of that. Um, but everything that you live and die with from a field point of view, doesn't, it doesn't translate inside. And I do think there are a lot of you know, pro field guys who are so excited about the box game and they're like, you know, I want to do that. How do I do that? How do I get a tryout? And I always say to those guys, if you're really serious about that, I would love to have a conversation with you and just to kind of, you know, lay it out for you and just kind of, and it's, and it's never personal experience, but just to know, just to let a lot of those guys know you can't just show up on a Canadian GM or head coach's doorstep and be like, Hey, I'm a pro field goalie. Give me a shot. Um, one, uh, that's not going to happen. And two, there are many other junior goaltenders in the pipeline Canadian, Native American, and now even some young American goaltenders in the U.S. box of the pipeline that are light years ahead of anyone, any current American pro that says, hey, I can do that. I can step <laughs> in and do that. It's, it's impossible. Um, the teachings are different. The skill is different. You know, I can remember, you know, early on, you know, talking to a lot of Canadian GMs, you know, thinking about when I was in college, like, this is what I want to do. I want to I be a professional lacrosse player. I want to play in the MOL and I want to play in the NOL. How do I do that? Um, <clears throat> every Canadian player I talked to, every Canadian GM I came across, they're like, you need to play in Canada. Like, you need to play box across. You can't just show up. And I won't say it took me a while to really realize that, but my roommate in college was Scotty Evans. Guy's a Peterborough guy. Um, you know, I got a little taste of that. I had to go up there, you know, spend some time with the Evans family. Um, but, you know, just got to understand the ins and outs of what the Canadian summer experience is like. And then I had a run with the, you know, the U.S. Deve developmental team. And that was a big part of my development, no pun intended, um, <laughs> where it was, hey, you know, we're going to travel to Six Nations. We're going to, you know, we're going to travel up to Ganawage. We're going to play, um, you know, in these, you know, iconic Canadian rinks during the summer. So, you know, I got, you know, a good run with those teams. And then at the end of the day, you had to commit to playing up north during the summer. Um, and as a field goalie, there's a lot of guys who aren't going to give up their MLL or, you know, now PLL paycheck to attempt to do that. And I've always said this, that as an American box goaltender, even a Canadian box goaltender, but an American in particular, if you want to guarantee, if you want to guarantee yourself a job during the winter, I'll even tweak that a little bit. If you even want to guarantee yourself a spot in camp during the winter, you need to commit during the summer. And I think that's the litmus test for a lot of Canadian GMs where it's like, one, the whole animal plays in the 
WLA or the OLA or some you know senior B faction of it. Um, those are the best players in the world. The best players in the world are neural cross guys. Um, and you can see the guys that are big time players in either league, obviously, are box guys. And the coaches and the GMs want to see you perform during the summer. And if you don't answer the bell by, and they're kind of giving you a tryout in a sense, where like, you need to go to Canada. That's their tryout. You need to go to Canada and play during the summer. If you don't do that, then you're an afterthought. And, you know, good luck sending an email in September and October saying, hey, you know, I want to go to camp. And, you know, the NLL has, you know, been gracious enough now to, you know, kind of open up these combines for players to get into camps, which I think are outstanding. Uh, you know, they provide a platform for, for guys who maybe don't kind of know the ins and outs of how to get lock in one of those jobs during the summer um, to have an opportunity during the winter. So, you know, I see both sides of it. But, you know, I, every high school player, every college player asks, they're like, how do I get to play in the NLL? Um, one, as an American, it's very hard. There are very few guys that can just show up, you know. Uh, you know, you look at Matt Rambo, to Wharton player. Uh, you know, national champion. And look, he's got, you know, some growing pains in the NLL, but he's got the tools and the talent to do it. You don't have Matt Rambo's growing on trees. No. Um, you don't have American players like that, one, who are skilled and who have the want to do that. And sure, you know, Matt grew up in Philly, so it was a perfect fit, but Philly didn't have to draft him. They didn't have to, you know, invest and commit to him. Um, and it's a two-way street. You know, they're going to show him some love. Well, he's got to do the same. He is you know, one of the perfect examples of an American guy who gets it, who has bought in, who's not afraid to get his feelings hurt, who's not afraid to be vulnerable. Um, I give those guys a lot of credit, um, you know, and, and Tommy Schreiber and McArdle who packed their bags and went up to Toronto. Like, that, there's something to be said for an American in Toronto, let alone two of them, um, to learn the game. You know, I, I look at the Toronto Rock like the New York Yankees. Like, that is, like, the yeah. premier example of professional sports and to have an American on that team to have two um, and one of them be the face of your team that's like (laughs) oh no doubt I mean I I mean if we're going to compare it to the Yankees it's like a guy from the Dominican coming to America and becoming the face of that team and taking over so yeah Tommy Schreiber he's one of a kind and and people really and and again they think lacrosse is lacrosse I get it but it's a different sport and now we're not even talking about goaltending. Now you're talking about, obviously, runners and D guys. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why a lot of American guys don't do it. I mean, look, I understand there's work constraints that come into it. You know, for lack of a better, like, really getting into it, I just, I don't think they want to invest in the time to learn the game and be a practice, you know, go from being a field player who is an All-American, mm-hmm. an All-Pro, and then all of a sudden wants to play in the indoor game and is a practice squad guy. There's a lot of guys who I don't think are willing to take that hit to their ego. Totally. Um, And then maybe to, um, and that was one thing that really resonated with me where it was like, you know, I went from starting every game in college, you know, some, you know, to being a a backup in the MLL and getting time. And then it was like, from an NLL point of view, they're like, you are going to be a backup goaltender. And I've been a career backup goaltender and I'm really proud of that. But to be a constant number three, to be in the mix as a number two, to really commit to that and want to do that. There's a lot of people that they're like, well, you know, if I'm not an everyday guy, I'm not going to do it. There are a lot of, there are not a lot of people who can say, I, I played in every pro game that I could have. There are very few guys that can do that. You know what I mean? In respect to, 
you know, the Brody Merrills of the world and the Casey Powells of the world. And, but there are many levels of players that I think that's the misconception of pro lacrosse where you have your active roster and then you have your scratch guys and then you have your practice squad guys and then you've got guys on the IR and then you've got guys who are protected and this and that. There's many levels of pro lacrosse that allow you to still stay in and I won't say to tie a bow on that, but that question, field across, box across, the beauty of it translating from inside to outside is the sky's the limit. You know, box across made me a better field goaltender. It made me a better coach. It made me a better teammate. And I won't say that the, the field teams that I've been on, you know, didn't have a, a good group of guys because that's not true because a lot of those teams were fantastic. But the box across world, the box across experience, there's something to be said for being engaged and being committed because it's a man's game. Mm-hmm. It is a man's game. And um, there's a reason why, um, sadly, that a lot of Americans haven't done it. Um, I don't think a lot of them are really willing to put themselves out there. And the ones that have and the ones that are currently doing that right now, um, you know, I'll give a shout out to my boy, Austin Pafani. You know what I mean? Right now. He's know, exactly who I'm thinking about while you're ta- talking about this. squad guy for the Philadelphia Wings. Like he is in, like he is so close to like cracking the lineup and being a guy. Um, and, and I know it's hard for him because he is an animal on the field. He is a beast. And you look at what he did at Carolina and you look at his, you know, MLL stuff and PLL stuff. And you're like, dude, like, and the sky's the limit for him. Um, you know, I'll put him in the same category as like, you know, maybe like a future Brett Manny or somebody like mm-hmm. that who has like the tools to do it. And I'm telling you, if he sticks with it, he is so close. But that's, you know, it's a it's a tough sell for for GMs and coaches that are like, uh, how can I just put somebody in who has never played the game before and needs to kind of understand the nuances, and then he can be one of the guys. It's almost like a rite of passage. You just got to put in the hours first. Oh, totally. I mean, and, you know, as a head coach and a GM, like, why would you not, you know, check all the boxes of who you're putting in your lineup? I mean, that that's a no-brainer. Um, and, you know, and, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about Blaze, but, you know, he's the same thing. You know, I think it was with Rots for a little bit. It was with the Bandits and then got let go and then played, um, you know, I don't know if it was Sealax or whatever um, – the league in Ontario. Uh, yeah. I think he was in major series for a little while, <laughs> but I mean, same thing. Like, like this cat put his time in as an American player to make a name for himself. Like there's something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people give him enough credit in how talented he is. One of the best teammates I've ever had. Um, definitely thrown some goalie love his way, but dude, he gets it. He's another one who's, and again, we've all got things to work on. But, you know, his heart, his mind is what's going to keep him in this league for a while. Yeah, no he's a beauty. But we've, we've pushed this thing a little forward here. I want to step back. We go back to high school. You, you're a starting goalie, but you're also a quarterback. Are you a quarterback all throughout high school? <clears throat> made the switch from a quarterback to, like, a wide receiver. But I grew up in the secondary. I made the switch to, to defense, was a strong safety, was a corner. So you did it all. Was was your pops your coach at the uh, time, or is he still – because he's still the coach up there now, right? Dad still – we actually – he coached at a – Rival high school, same town, different high school. Oh, wow. So that was always a bit of a chip on your shoulder. So, um, and it, I mean, look, my small town, New York, um, you know, one town, three high schools type of thing. Now I went to one. My father, you know, teaches and coaches at another. Um, 
you know, and he's, you know, I'll call him my coach still to this day because he tells me, you know what I mean, puts me in place when he needs to. Totally. Just, that's what Pop does, you know, but he's there to put his arm around me and have a beer. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, grew up in a football house. You know, dad's still cranking away 40 years into it. You know, it was my Pop Warner coach, my middle school coach. But obviously high school, we played against each other. And that was actually probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do. You know what I mean? Like, you don't think about it, but dad's over there. You're right here. Different color. The whole thing. I thought that was, again, a total unique experience. Completely. I mean, um, it's the only time in life where you're going to kind of <coughs> not face your father, but it's yeah. it's, an, it's an uncomfortable thing. You don't want to. As much as you don't want to rip him apart, you do, right? Yeah, I mean, and again, you want you want to win and all that, and um, at the end of the day, it's also his job on the line. So if like you're totally, about to rip right? away his job, <laughs> maybe you shave a few points there. I think it's funny too. Like, look, not only is my father, you know, a, a football coach, he's actually a high school gymnastics coach too. No way. Um, and they're actually um, pretty darn good. It's crazy, um, but. My sister was a big-time gymnast. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was an All-American gymnast. And it was the same thing. You know, I played against my father in football. They went head-to-head in gymnastics. He was the head coach of the other team, and my oh, sister's did awesome. so. And like, but, like, the family stuff, I mean, that was – it's what we did. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I, I remember talking to my sister about that, and again, years ago, obviously. But, like, it made us closer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things. For us, it was normal. It was never anything that, like, you know, the papers built up or anything like that. It was just what we did. Everybody knew Vin Collins, football coach, gymnastics coach, myself, my sister, the whole thing. Like, just what we did. Now, was he uh, coaching lacrosse at all for them? Uh, Dad never coached lacrosse. Um, In fact, he actually coached track and field in the spring. But um, then again, like, was was the parent youth lacrosse coach and all that. But I give my parents a lot of credit. I don't think they've ever really missed a game. Yeah, you know, high school wise, college wise, pro wise, and like, sure, there's always that random like midweek game that you're like, I don't know if they'll make it. And sure enough, you know, the Collins family suburban shows up in the parking lot, and then everybody kind of rolls out, and that's like, it's that's what we do. Like my family rolls. You know, that's amazing. They come, they come down for a Wings game, and they they either come here and spend the night, or they'll just turn around and roll back. Like that's that's what they do. And they're all still up in kind of upstate. So like when you're down at, so we're moving to college now, when you're at UD, University of Delaware, are they making it down for all those games and still your number one support crew? And It was, you know, I, I don't know how they did it, but, you know, my family was able to balance, you know, myself in university and then five other kids at home. Um, the good part was, was everybody was able to hop in the car and roll and, you know, University of Delaware from Yorktown, New York, just about three hours, you know, and our conference was, you know, still in the mid-Atlantic and all that. So, you know, Hof, you know, played Hofstra, Albany, the whole thing. So it was, but regardless, they got in the car and they rolled. And I that's think that's amazing. one of the things that totally gave me some longevity with my career because they were always there. And then now God bless FaceTime, you know, when you got a game in Colorado <laughs> or a game in Vancouver or you name it. Um, there's not a moment that goes by where it's, you know, a FaceTime mom, dad, brother, sisters, text message, obviously, but FaceTime is how we roll, you know, God bless that tool. Um, but yeah, you know, my family is what's gotten, not gotten me through, but it, it's, it's where they've always been. Um, I will, you know, forever grateful for that. And I can remember, um, you know, high school games, college games, pro games, Team USA and the world games, like, all of those major moments in my life, I'm very fortunate that my family was there. 
Totally. Um, and it would not have felt the same, obviously, if they weren't. And that's just, it's what we do. Um, it's how we roll, you know, let alone like, you know, the best tailgate crew and support crew. And that's what we do. And, you know, I'm the epitome of like the extended, like, you know, Irish family of like aunts and uncles and cousins and, you know, and the way that works is a lot of them aren't even aunts and uncles and cousins, but like <laughs> but just, be- that, that's our family right there. And that's how we roll. And, um, I'm really proud of that, you know, and that's, that's what we do. And whether it's a graduation, you know, a birth of another niece or a niece, uh, you know, niece or a nephew, um, you know, now it's like their little like youth league games, but you know, my brother Tim's a, was a cop in New York city and now he's a firefighter. So it was like, you know, his police graduation, his fire graduation, like we roll, that's what we do. Oh, that's amazing, man. I mean, that's like, I I don't know how to do it any other way. And, you know, and when people ask, you know, tell your story, I'm like, I come from a really awesome family. Um, And I'm very fortunate that, you know, my parents are both teachers and, you know, they knew how to drop the hammer when it was time and, you know, keep me aligned and, um, you know, smack me around and like that, like, that's important. And I'm not, and I won't tell anybody how to parent, but uh, I know how I was, you know, taught and taken care of and put in my place as a young buck and I won't say that's why I'm here today but I'll say that's why I'm here today is because there were consequences but at the same time you know mom and dad able to put their arm around you and let you know it's all good but at the same time like you know don't fuck it up right because when you do that's when they have to drop the (laughs) hammer I mean I think one of your favorite things every time I see each other I'm always probably either getting into trouble or gonna try and get in trouble or something and you always uh make a little comment about uh back in my day this would have been this or that but uh i mean with the support system like that it's kind of it's easier to understand why you had these uh have these comments for me because you're just trying to push me in the right direction personally but how does a kid from upstate new york end up at university of delaware is this is this a you're hitting a recruiting scene. Um, you're going to college camps. I mean, the recruiting scene very different um, back then. Um, it was the Empire State Games, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the New York State version of the Olympics, and you know that was our recruiting. Te- that was our recruiting tool. Um, and again, I was very fortunate that you know in my area there were several um, talented players that went to UD, that were Blue Hens, that were on the squad, um, that went to the you know went to the NCAA tournament, and I was like, you know what, like. You know, they're a top 20 school. They were just in the quarterfinals. I'm like, I want to go there. You know, Sean Carney, Jay Mata, you know, from my hometown, those were two guys that um, were at Delaware at the time. And, you know, they were great resources. They were great. uh, They were great hosts. And, um, you know, it was a good school. They had the education program that I wanted. It wasn't far from home. And I had, you know, I felt like in my mind I had a shot to play early. Um, And I'm a lax rat. That's all I wanted to do. Um, when you showed up, were you one of the kids? I was like, I'm not here to for an education. I'm here to play sports or, whatever, or I'm here for a sports <laughs> degree never, or whatever. I was never like that, but um, I was definitely like, you know, lacrosse is, you know, no doubt my first priority in school is probably a close number two. Yeah. You know, next to chasing girls and all that. Of course. And it wouldn't be college without that. <laughs> it wouldn't be. But, you know, I will – My I think my favorite Delaware story is um, – you know, one that place, you know, forever were, will forever have a special place in my heart. Did some did some really cool things there, you know, as a player and as a coach, but as a player, first and foremost, um, you know, we were good. We went to the playoffs, the whole thing. Um, but I think 
<clears throat> my favorite University of Delaware story actually happened even before I got there because, you know, everyone right now in today's world has such a hard on for, you know, making their announcement and signing their NLI oh, and like yeah. doing this. And I was like, like, I didn't, I didn't sign an NLI. You know, I was a, I was a recruited walk-on quote unquote, didn't get a scholarship. You know, I earned a scholarship while I was there, but, um, I was one of two goalies, you know, in that recruiting class. Um, you know, the other player who was a solid dude, great teammate. He went to, he went to boys Latin was the starting goaltender at boys Latin signed the NLI. Like he was going to be the guy, you know what I mean? And I was the other guy in the class, you know, where I came from in the empire state games. Like I, I learned how to compete before I went away to college. You know, it wasn't like, you know, everything had been given to me where it wasn't, you know, you had to, you had to earn, you had to earn the right to be on that empire state team, that Hudson Valley team. So I learned how to compete in high school and I'll never forget, you know, <clears throat> when I found out that I was obviously the second goalie in that class and I'm like, damn, who is this kid? Like, all right, there's another goalie in there. Like, all right, I got to beat him out. Like, no way fans or butts. Like I will outwork this kid. Um, so I'll never forget. Um, I'm, you know, reading inside the cross, like back in the day, um, when it looked like a newspaper. Oh yeah. You know what I mean, <clears throat> um, fantastic, like presentation of it. Um, and, I'll never forget the goaltender in the picture uh, wore like a calf band, wore like a, you know, like a Nike calf band. And I was like, all right, like I'm going to wear a calf band now for all of my workouts to remind me that this kid is going to be there. And he, you know, this is my reminder. I've, you know, field across wise from that day forward, you know, college wise, MLL wise, like I always wore like that calf band. It got to a point where I was like, all right, this is pretty fashionable now. Well, it's now hilarious this, you because know? you bring that up and I'm, th I'm thinking back to the pictures I've seen of you and I'm like, he's wearing a calf band in every single one of those pictures, MLL, blue hens. Yeah. And not just the way you motivated yourself from there. And that was, and look, there was nothing evil in it. There wasn't like, you know, I hate this guy. It's not like, I don't even know the kid. Oh yeah. But it was, look, the competitive nature for me, I was like, you know, I'm going there to play lacrosse, you know what I mean? To go back to your initial thought process. Like, yeah, like I wanted to compete for a state championship in high school. I wanted to compete for a gold medal in the Empire State Games. But when it was time to move on, okay, it's on to bigger and better things. How do I do that? Um, all right. So I'm going against the highly touted, you know, boys Latin recruit, you know, probably the best, one of the best high school programs in the country. Um, I'm like, I got my work cut out for me. And, you know, I think there were a lot of people that were like, there's no shot, you know what I mean? And like, <clears throat> like no doubt, like times were hard and you had to compete, but like, I won't say that wristband got me through, but like that wristband and like just the competitive nature in me, the competitive spirit in me, like, like that meant something, you know what I mean? It wasn't fashionable. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. It eventually became that, but that right there, you know what I mean? Every summer workout, strength shoes, working like, seeing shots, the whole thing. Like that was my reminder. Like you may take a day off, but you don't know, like this kid may not. And it was the same thing when I got to school. Like that was my reminder. Now I knew who the kid was yeah. and turned out to be an awesome guy. Um, but when it came all across, you know, look, I'm a lax rat for me. It was, I won't say business, but it just, it meant that much to me to, you know, honor where I came from, honor my family. And like, I, I wasn't going to settle for one, being on the team and two, being a backup goaltender you know, be a backup goaltender. That was not in the cards for me. 
Um, I'm happy to say that, you know, there are certain practices and certain things where they definitely test your will and all that. And, you know, coach is definitely breathing down your neck and, um, you know, Bob, I love him. I mean, he was a yeller, no doubt. And, you know, Chris, you know, make your save, do this, do that. I'm like, all right, I got it. Like I can handle that. That's fine. Um, but yeah, to this day, I always fall back to that, you know, believe it or not, my favorite Delaware story for me, you know, happened and started before I even got there. And that's one thing that, you know, got me through it. And, you know, real first time away from home, the whole thing, like it started at home. That band started at home. So I think that was one thing that was able to like get me through some of those tough times just to let me know that. So, but yeah, college through and through, um, MLLIs through and through. And yeah, that was, that was my thing. No, did you, were you looking anywhere else or was it UD from um, the jump? <clears throat> I was in Mar- I wanted to go to Maryland so bad. Mm-hmm. You, know what I mean? you want to be a like, Terp? I, I wanna, I'm like, look at the Terps, man. Like this and that. Like, you know, I, I did my best to try to emulate, you know, the goalies growing up that I tried to emulate was hometown guy, Brian Carcaterra, and then Terp goaltender, Brian Dougherty. Like mm-hmm. those were my two guys growing up, you know, hometown love to Kark. And then Doc at that point was killing it, you know, was a Team USA guy, like, how could you not want to be like him? Totally. Um, and, you know, those are the two guys that I, you know, idolized and tried to emulate as best I could. Um, and, you know, Doc was a terp. I'm like, all right, like, I want to do this. And then, you know, obviously it didn't work out at Maryland. Um, you know, sure, talked to a couple of other schools, but, you know, Delaware felt like home. You know, and again, had some, you know, uh, some former teammates down there too. So it made sense. And then, then there you go, made it happen. And, there we are. That place is, you know, I will, obviously, I am, am forever a fan of the Hens. Um, excited to see them back in the playoffs, making big things happen. Um, you know, as a pro, um, look, honoring your hometown and your family, no doubt, but honoring your university. Like, I spent some some grueling days there, some hard times there that helped make me who I am as a player. Um and I'm forever grateful for those experiences. Yeah, it's not always the uh, things you do on the field. It's those 3 a.m. papers you're writing just oh. so you can be eligible to play your sport. It's, it comes with the experience, all of that. Um, and I was, you know, look, I had some good teammates, some some fun guys. And look, it, it wasn't easy. You know, there were some years, you know, when I was at the Hens where we were not good. Um, and then it was kind of nice to finally get the reins of that group and, you know, you know, you know, be the guy for three years and build on it and, you know, really flip the script on, you know, not the program, but, you know, the wins and the records and then going back to the NCAA tournament and like, you know, helping kind of be the catalyst to the run that that, uh, you know, that the Hens had and, you know, in 07 and 10 and 11, like, you know, to to be forever a part of history. You know, that, that 05 team was, we had some big time players on that team. You know, Alex Smith, Jordan Hall, Brett Manny, like these are all big time names that we all shared, you know, a dressing room 15 years ago together mm-hmm. so um and still some of your buds <laughs> to this day which is like the best part is like the camaraderie the you oh, go God, to college yeah. and you make forever friends i mean especially in a community like lacrosse like brett manning for example he's an all-time beaut he's amazing and he's also just one of the most personable people you'll ever meet in your life and the then best. you guys get to follow each other into your professional lives now both playing in the mm-hmm. nll still and um yeah, that's the. It's kind of the beauty of this sport is just the relationships that you can build over time because it's such a niche niche community that 
still so tightly wound that it hasn't really spread out to the masses yet. And because it's so small, everybody knows everybody. And it's kind of one of the beautiful things about this sport that a lot of people miss because it gets overshadowed by the five stories you hear every year about like some guy from, I guess, Willie Boy's line, I guess, being a douchebag or something, which it's going to happen. It comes with the territory of any sport, but it's pretty awesome to hear that. We, and it's crazy, you know, people ask all the time, they're like, you know, you still keep in touch with a bunch of the Delaware guys? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, absolutely. Um, And thankfully, you know, the game lacrosse has allowed me to do that. My best friend, you know, one of my best friends, Brett Manny. We've been on like six teams together. Yeah. You know, the U.S. team, the Bayhawks, you know, the Wings, the Black Wolves. Um, Like, I don't, there's not a, and then you, you go back to Delaware, there's not a phase of lacrosse in the last 15 years that doesn't have my best friend in it as a teammate or me playing against him, which I think is pretty rad. All those years kind of blur together at times, but like when you think about it, like, and I always say, you know, it's not about the ride, it's who you share it with. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of really cool people along the way and, you know, to call a lot of them good friends, to share my family with them too. I don't, I don't think I could put a price tag on that. Um, and I'm super stoked about that, super proud of that. And I don't, and look, everyone's experience is different. Um, I've been very fortunate that, um, look, lacrosse wise, no doubt, there have been some rough times for sure, but. You know, the good has, you know, fortunately outweighed the bad times 10. Um, and I'm okay with that. Now, you you actually just kind of led me into my next question. And this was this was something I really kind of wanted to get into the weeds with. Is You've now seen almost every phase of lacrosse at this point in the modern era. And one of that is the transition from college to the MLL or NLL. You have to make this decision. Am I going to be a professional lacrosse player who isn't necessarily going to be making a ton of money and especially to do so when we're about to head into a recession as a country. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that you experienced firsthand and a lot of guys can't say that they did because a lot of people only really hear like Paul Rabel's story, for example, this is a kid who comes out of college in what, 06, 07 or whatever, and he's able to sign a bigger ticket and he's more of a highly touted personality that people wanted, but he didn't have to grind it out nearly as hard as a guy who's really working his ass off to be a starter in the MLL. So, I mean, what was that kind of like? And I mean, I'm sure times were kind of dark at periods there. No doubt. I mean, I will, uh, you know, everybody's story is different, no doubt. Um, You know, I won't say that. Look, you know, the high profile guys, they got to work pretty damn hard too. Oh, totally. Um, He didn't get there. I kind of made that to sound like he got it easy. He didn't. He had to work. Oh, no doubt. So hard no to get doubt. there, and he uh, deserves all the accolades he has. It was just like he, because of his, those accolades, he was kind of. And respect, you know, those guys that, um, you know, have those college careers that, um, you know, I won't say are, that are picturesque. Um, that's what made me want more. Um, you know, I had a great run at Delaware. Um, won some big-time games, you know. Uh, accomplished some big time goals there. But I think the thing that's kind of helped drive me over the years is that when I left Delaware, I wanted more as a player. And, you know, look, to each their own. There's a lot of guys who are super talented that after their college run, they're like, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. And it could be career-based, it could be family-based, it could be, you know, hey, I got to go home and go to work. And that was all of those things you think about. Um, but for me, I, I wanted more. I wanted more. 
Um, I wanted to be a pro outdoor goalie. I wanted to be a pro indoor goalie. I wanted to play for Team USA. Um, and those were all things in my mind when I was in college. By no means did we underachieve at Delaware. I thought we expe- you know, exceeded expectations. Um, <clears throat> but when it was time to leave Newark, I was like, I want more. The good part was, is like, look, you know, we had some big time guys, you know, in both leagues. John Grant Jr., Scott Evans, Keevan Galbraith, Jason Mata, Brian Barrett. Like, these are all Delaware names that were current MLL guys, NLL guys, Team USA, Team Canada. So you kind of had um, the model to follow of like, not where to go and what to do, but how. You know what I mean? Those guys were playing during the summer. They were playing during the winter. And and those guys wanted more. And kind of seeing that, um, you know, as a player at Delaware at the time was like, look, these guys are doing it. Like, this is what I want to do. Um, by no means that I think it was going to come easy because it didn't. But, you know, okay, so school ends. It's time to go. Talking to a couple teams. Bayhawks give you a chance. I'm like, all right, like, let's do this. Um, <clears throat> and you're on a pretty talented Bayhawks team. I mean, <laughs> my first pro roommate was Tommy Marichek. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I'll, look, I'll talk lacrosse all day long, but I grew up going to the Dome and watching Tommy play. Totally. You know I mean? um, and same thing. Like, went to school at Delaware. We went to Wings games all the time. I was watching Tommy. Um, he was my roommate on our first, like, one of our first road trips. You know what I mean? And, like, Tommy Marichek, Mark Millen, Mark Fry, you know, these are all – and they had just come off, you know, winning a championship too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like either two or three in a row. You know, the D guys were like Sean Natalin, Christian Cook. Um, like these guys are ballers in every sense of the word. And you're like, okay. Um, I think the great part about pro lacrosse that a lot of people are always like, um, you know, those jobs always go to, you know, ACC guys or guys from Q's and this and that. I'm like, look, not for nothing. Like, those guys are some of the best players in the world. So there's a reason why there's a lot of guys that are from those schools that are the ones that are in the pro leagues. Like, And then I think it's funny when guys are like, ah, you know, there's no D2 or D3 guys in there. Like, all they care about is Division One guys. I'm like, well, that's not true because actually over the years, I've had plenty of Division Two and Division Three teammates who are pretty damn good. One of your best teammates right now, Josh? Oh, Courier? God, yeah, right? He's a D3 guy from Virginia. <laughs> Virginia Wesleyan. And I'm like, Joshy, he's, I'm like. He's a stud. Like, there are ballers everywhere. But, like, you asked the question, like, what made you want to do it? Like, if you want to play pro lacrosse, like, look, it's not easy. But if you make that commitment to it and you've got the tools to do it, like, the sky's the limit. Sure, I like the attractiveness of having guys from the ACC and the Big Ten and all of that. And everyone's like, you know. Hopkins this, Carolina that, keeps that. Like, not for nothing. Like, some of the, they're, they're the best players out there. But there's also a lot of other good players. You know what I mean? A handful of other schools, Division two, Division three. If those guys have the wherewithal to get in the camp and ball it up, and then there you go, like, most of those guys will get a shot. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, coming off being an All-American, you know, I got a shot in camp, was drafted by the Bayhawks, and I made a, I made a run at it. And it was not easy. The pro lifestyle, look – we don't spend as much time together as the college guys. You got to put the time in during the week as a goaltender. You need to see shots like that, that grind of college across where you practice every day, you have a shoot around and then a game, like you have to create your own opportunity. So 
Um, you know, people always ask, you know, what's the difference, college and pro? It's, you, will, you make your own routine. Your routine becomes you. You got to surround yourself with good people, strength and conditioning, a trainer. And look, you can create that on your own, but it's always nice to have help. But, you know, having that drive, having that want to be a pro guy and kind of maybe even forego some some other coaching opportunities or camp and clinic opportunities. Like I wanted to play lacrosse. Playing lacrosse meant more to me than most other things. Um, and I was okay with that. Um, I think it's funny. There's, especially during the winter, like I couldn't tell you the last time I had a Friday or a Saturday night and I'm like looking for something to do. Because on a Friday or Saturday night, I'm either on my way to the rink or on my <laughs> way to a shoot around or a team dinner or something like that. Like, like I'm okay with that. Um, and look, I love to go out, love to have a good time, love to be with my family. But the lacrosse side of it, the you know, being in a dressing room, being with the guys, like that, like that's what I wanted. You know what I mean? That's that's what that's what got me. And, and look, for to each their own, but uh, I had an itch. I wanted to pursue it, and from a field across point of view, I was like, okay, like, like I can make this happen. And then, you know, from an indoor point of view, you know, at that point, you know, throughout college, I was playing for the U.S. developmental team, you know, which gave me experiences, you know, across the border, playing against, um, you know, all this team from Ontario and Quebec, um, and playing games on, you know, on the reservation, playing at Six Nations, playing at Kahnawake. Uh, playing games, you know, playing games in Onondaga. Um, <clears throat> those games, looking back at it now, and those experiences had more, you know, I, we, and we talk about like the, the first one, the you know, the rink in Oshawa. Like mm -hmm. all of those indoor experiences had more of an impact on my field career and everything than I could ever think of. Um, and that's what really, you know, wanted me to be, you know, an NLL goaltender. Um, you know, one of the other goaltenders <coughs> um, on the Bayhawks in my rookie year was Eric Miller, you know, um, one of the best American goalies to ever play the game, you know, and people talk about the, you know, Division three guys don't get a crack in this and that. Well, he was a Division three goaltender at Salisbury, played in the NLL, played in the NLL, played for Team USA. I'm like, dude, this guy's my idol. Like, mm -hmm. like, E. Miller, like, I'm going to hang with you and follow you and, like, it got to the point where I was like, yo, E, like, if I'm ever asking, like, too many questions, like, just tell me <laughs> just... to, like, you know, bang off. Like, I'll leave you alone. Um, but, like, surrounding yourself with good people. And, look, I had the Delaware Network, but, you know, playing with Eric Miller and having him as a resource um, was career-changing for me. And then that next season was the NLL season. Look, I went undrafted, but I was invited to camp. It was you know my first run in the NLL was with the New York Titans, um, you know starting goaltender was Matt Vince, best goaltender in the world, backup goaltender was Eric Miller, and then I was the three Chris Collins. So there's my first pro experience in the NLL in New York City. I'm a New York guy. I get to learn from Eric Miller and Matt Vince. So when people ask how did you become a box goaltender. I was surrounded by two of the best guys that you'll ever meet, that you'll ever meet. And this had nothing to do with like where you're from, what do you do? Like genuinely good dudes who love the game of lacrosse, who knew how important first and foremost it was to be a good teammate. But like those guys like competed, 
like Vino. Vino is a whole other <coughs> animal. animal. I have a buddy who was telling me he was at the um, Canisius alumni game last year. Rocking guys. Yeah. And that's the kind of animal that like, like gets after it. And like, and look, career backup goaltender right here, me, Matt Vince, all world best goaltender in my eyes to ever play the game. You know, and that's no knock on, you know, many guys before him, you know, Dallas and Chugger. Yeah, I think Dallas might come at your neck for that one. (laughs) Um, But I didn't have the the dressing room, the teammate experience. So, again, biased for sure. But um, the two guys that had the biggest impact on my NLL career was Vino and E. Miller, two of the best at their craft. Um, And, you know, Eric at that time was – towards the back end of his career i think he probably had two or three more years left after that and this was in 06 or 07 or 06 and 07 um those guys were awesome they you know opened my eyes up to the position and what worked and what like so when you're asking for teammates like those guys were lights out from a resource and goalie coaches like i never had a goalie coach truly growing up but like my goalie coaches were Vino and Eric Miller. By no means could I play like Vino, and by no means was I six seven like Eric Miller, but you could you know take kind of bits and pieces from their game and make it your own. And that right there had such an impact on what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? And obviously I was still playing in the MLL for another six years after that, but at that point I was like, all right, what do I do now? Like. Okay, need to be in the U.S. pipeline. Got it. Need to play in Canada. Got it. Need to get ready to play again. And those guys, and Eric was keen enough to be like, look, like it's not going to be easy because a lot of Canadian you know, coaches and GMs want a Canadian goalie and respect that because guess what? It's their world. Like mm-hmm. We're only hoping to earn a paycheck in it and live in it. Um, and for me and Eric, like I wanted to be one of those guys to, you know, help pioneer the American side of it. Because um, aside from Eric and myself at that time, there were no American goaltenders in the league. You know, a couple guys who were trying to crack, you know, practice squads and um, some older guys who were still kind of like in and out of the league a little bit. But <clears throat> like that was it. And then then it became like, OK, summer ball and Team USA stuff. And that literally, you know, springboard everything into that, you know. Um, I credit, you know, Coach Mueller, Coach Adam Mueller for giving me a shot. Um, it was by far the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and I won't say that if I didn't have that NLL experience, I wouldn't still be playing lacrosse today or have an opportunity to still play lacrosse today. But <clears throat> when people ask, like, that right there is how and why, because I had two of the best goaltending minds at my disposal. And, you know, not to mention, I mean, those two, you know, two of the greatest guys we'll ever meet. But, like, when it came time to compete, like, Vino, like, out of his mind. Whether you're playing cards with him at night or whether you're working out or watching him compete at practice, like, I don't think there was ever a time where he's like, you know, no, I'm not taking shots. Like, let's go. Like, an animal. And E-Miller, like, the guy had, like, such a mean streak and wanted to compete. Like, those were the guys and those were the teammates that I was like, okay, like, that's who I want to be. Those are the guys that, you know, you know, as I get older, um, these are the guys that, you know, and again, I always say it like to young goaltenders, you know, try to find somebody that, you know, you want to do your best to try to emulate um, and work your game around, you know, 
those were two guys that I wanted to emulate as people, as teammates, and as goaltenders. So um, I couldn't have, you know, been given a shot to be in that opportunity or to have that opportunity to be in that spot. And for me, it was a perfect storm to be a New York guy, play at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's um, something else. <laughs> to be to be a you know the third string goaltender on that team meant more to me than really anything, um, and it was the springboard to many years and many opportunities to come. Totally. So you push out of the MLL there after six seasons, was it? Yeah, 2012 spent? was my last run in the, in the MLL. you had a good time in the MLL? Just, <coughs> it was I, great. We got to have your buddy um, Curtis Dixon on the show last year, so and he was just giving us horror story after horror story, but it sounds like you really made the most of the kind of inconvenient. He was always, <coughs> he sounded like he was very upset at like the travel arrangements and such, but you were a guy who were, was willing to make... Yeah, I mean, like, and think about MLL-wise, too, I mean, and Kurt was... At that point, I'm sure and Kurt was traveling from out west. You know, he was back home. For mm-hmm. me. It was, you know, obviously I've you know been in the Mid Atlantic ever since I finished school in '05. So a lot of those situations aren't great. Um, and, I, and you know, again, the NLL experience is a truly professional experience. Um, and yeah, some of the MLL stuff wasn't great, but you kind of just rolled with it because that that was the world we were living in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, look, and everyone has their gripes, no doubt. Um, kind of, you know, came with the territory at that point, but not many things. Maybe it's just the goaltender in me, but you know, not many of that stuff really, really irked me or bothered me that much. Where I was like, you know, whatever. You know, what I mean, if I got a, if I got a terrible flight time, I'm like, all right, great, quick turnaround, great. Um, you know, just rack up those miles, <laughs> save them up, understand those airports, know where you're. Know where you're going, know where the good airport pubs are. You know, that was kind of, you know, the one kind of thing you can kind of chuckle about where it's like, you know, I talk to people all the time. I'm like, you know, where are you going? This and that, you know, this sandwich place, this pub in the airport. It is funny when you do travel a lot and you get to these, some of these random cities and you do get to know some airport bartenders and stuff like that. <laughs> that so is pretty funny. Just kind of funny how it goes. But yeah, rack up your Amtrak miles, wrap up, you know, rack up all your airline miles and all that. I mean, it's, just comes with the territory totally so obviously the pll then pushes the mll into a pretty tough situation here but recently is this your first interview since taking the job should i feel Uh, pretty honored right now it is yeah this Uh, is the uh, the first time talking shop about it you know oh so here we go here goes nothing if for those of you don't know chris is obviously the new assistant coach for the redwoods lacrosse club in the pll so uh Quick, quick little clap to that you, but um you. how does this go man you, you, we talked about it a little bit off the show but you text nat you say hey man i'm interested i uh yeah and i think i i think i led with this but i uh you know the pro lacrosse is 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 where i want to um is where i want to live you know what i mean uh you know being a part of the indoor game being a part of the field game um but yeah, you know, an opportunity came about, um, you know, at the end of December with one of the Redwoods Lacrosse Club assistants leaving. Um, and right in that, you know, this is something I think I want to throw my hat in there and be a part of. Um, can't argue having the best players in the world um, and to be a part of the PLL experience. Um, fortunate enough to get an interview, fortunate enough to get a follow-up one and um, and here we are, 
you know, defensive coordinator and goalie coach for the Redwoods Lacrosse Club to to work for Nat St. Laurent um, and work alongside Todd, you know, Todd McFarland. Like that's like that's exciting, you know, to go to work to work with some of the, you know, some of to work with the best D guys in the world. Um, I mean, and, you quite literally have the best defense in the league uh, at your disposal. I, and I have to make sure I don't I stay out of the way and don't mess it up. Really. <laughs> um, but and again, just like you know, you surround yourself with good people, but. Um, look for me, I won't say that I'll treat this like the interview, but like, um, lacrosse to me is not easy. Um, you know, uh, it's a beautiful game. I enjoy working hard at it. Uh, I enjoy the relationships that come with it, but I also like competing, you know, and, um, you know, a pro championship is one that I am, um, in route for one that I'm excited to, you know, excited to chase after, um, but to, you know, to be a part of the, the PLL experience, um, you know, to work with these great young players, you know, have a shot to, you know, learn and work alongside Tim Trotner. I mean, that was, I won't say that was the decision maker, but I was like to have a chance just to, you know, share some goaltending knowledge and learning probably more from him. Um, but that's what we do. You know, the, the pro experience I'm super turned on about, super excited for, um, it is a fantastic group of guys. I've, you know, I've, you know, a lot of those guys have reached out and have only gotten me that more excited to kind of go to work and camp will be here before you know it once this NLL season ends. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to uh, begin to write that, that new chapter of my first true professional coaching experience, um, you know, with the Redwoods Lacrosse Club or the PLL. Um you know, fortunate enough uh, that green is my wife's favorite color. Uh, <laughs> it's so big. We're, so we're going to hook it up with obviously some Redwoods gear. But I couldn't be more excited about it, um, you know, to work for Nat um, and to, you know, to work alongside, for, you know, for these guys, you know, to help them, you know, accomplish all their goals too. That's, uh, you know, having been a part of pro lacrosse for so long now, um, uh, I'm excited to, to go to work, you know, be another guy in the dressing room. Uh, and help these guys achieve their goals. That is what I'm signed up to do. And really get after it in training camp down in Florida where it's nice and sunny and beautiful and <laughs> uh, nobody's yeah. complaining about that one. I'm eh? not going to turn down a, a good opportunity <laughs> to get a nice tan. Um, but down there, go to the work. I think the model is, is actually a pretty cool model. I love the fact that that camp is in an extended kind of period of time and that everyone's in the same spot. Um, I am... Uh, I am really on board for what the PLL brings to the table. Um, and just like anything else, you know, I think, you know, I think one of my best qualities as a player, you know, is being adaptable, different teammates, different coaches. Um, so I'm excited to bring that, you know, to the, to the PLL and to the Redwoods and, and to go to work, no doubt. Yeah. So we've, we've gotten to know Chris Collins, the lacrosse player. We've started from the beginning. Now we're here now. You are one of the biggest Twitter presences, not just in lacrosse, but in Philadelphia these days. And I would argue that you're you're a man of many hats because you do a lot for promoting the city and everything. Where do you just, you told me before the show, you're not very that much, you weren't into social media at the time. What pushed you into just being this this character on Twitter who's not afraid to follow anyone back? <coughs> 
make sure to re- you reach out to everyone, whether you know them or not. It's a beautiful thing. But where did this come from? And I guess your personality shows it a lot because you're some, you're one of the very few people I know in life, and it's a beautiful thing that you're not going to talk shit about anyone, and you never have, never will. But for that to carry into social media, kind of where did that all stem from? I won't say that's me, you know what I mean? But that's, I, and again, over time, everyone grows, everyone develops this and that. But we're a big Malcolm Gladwell fan, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And uh, the one phrase and word that he's kind of, and again, everyone talks about it, but like being the ultimate connector, um, that really stuck with me. Um, and when you can find a way to always use your platform as a person, as an athlete, as an advocate for your community, um, as a representative of your family. I mean, you can go through the list of, you know, hats that you wear. Um, Social media is a beautiful thing and a beautiful way to connect to people. And sure, get your message out, get your opinion out. But, um, you know, for me, my method of it, it's not opinion oriented. It's more of just engaging. You know what I mean? who you are, where are you from? Um, and again, you try not to get too personal with it because you know, you want to keep a lot of that at home. But, um, you know, people always ask, so like, if you didn't have a cross, like, what would you do? And I feel like you just sit on a corner, like a homeless guy and just talk to people. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I could do like one. That's a fantastic question. And one you should ask yourself all the time. Um, and I'm like, all right, the adrenaline junkie for me, like, like just to go like aggressive, I I would want to be like a storm chaser. Really? You know what I mean? Like hop in the car, like chase after tornadoes, like weather fascinates me, snowstorms, like hurricanes, like all of that. Like I would be a storm chaser. Like if I ever a chance to like meet Jim Cantore, hang with that cat for a little bit. And like, he's like in a, you know, like an adrenaline geek with that. And I'm like, dude, this guy's the man. Like. Like goalie wise, like I always say, like you know, you know, you don't have to be crazy to you know to be good, but it definitely helps. Like he's that guy's whacked out of his mind. I'm like, I <laughs> totally. got a lot in common with him. I'm like, <laughs> I think we would have a good time together. And like, look, I you know, I don't, I don't need to get fancy or technical, but like that's like I won't say that's like my joking side of it, but like yeah, dude, give me something like give me the adrenaline rush and let's make it happen. But for me, obviously, um, I always say it like if. If I didn't have lacrosse, I'm like, I think I would really want to work in like the, like the, like, like a tourism office, you know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. um, not like event planning, but like city of Philadelphia, like, you know, obviously like tab for like the hottest, like destination of like 2020 in terms of like, you know, nightlife and the historical side and the restaurants and like walkable town and this and that, like, that's what I would do. Like embrace your community you know, find a way to help better the people in it. You know what I mean? Um, step out of your comfort zone and give back. And like, and look, it doesn't have, you don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to be an advocate for something. Like you can engage your community by patroning all of your stores and your pubs and your restaurants and your dry cleaner and your post office right here. Um, and I think there's something to be said for walking around and being proud of where you're from and look, I'm a New Yorker. I'm proud of where I'm from, Yorktown, New York, Hudson Valley, New York. But, you know, Philly's become home, you know, as a professional athlete here in town. Um, I'm like, okay, I need to find a way to utilize this avenue um, 
to connect to people and to help people. Um, and look, whether that's you know getting the word out about this restaurant, about this new place, this neighborhood, this daycare, um, you know, this mom group, this dad group, like like that part's easy. Um, and look, we live in a handheld world. I get it. There are so many ways to connect to people and meet people and ask a question and engage people um, just by your phone. Um, and the Twitter world, no doubt, does not define me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. Uh, there are definitely times where I need to turn it off, no doubt. I don't want to overdo it. Sometimes I definitely do. But from a city of Philadelphia from you know a member of the philadelphia wings and now the pll redwoods but like my neighborhood you know uh, my restaurants my pubs like that i want to share that with everybody there are a lot of really cool places here in town um my wife and my, my daughter and i we go for walks you know this beer garden this restaurant this coffee house this bakery we got some fourth street you know deli cookies right here on the table um you know embracing your community at the very least um like that's what I do. Um, and like take the lacrosse player out of it. Um, but like walking around here, being a husband, being a dad, being a friend, like, you know, like I said, going to all these restaurants, walking the streets. Um, you so. truly embody the anybody and everybody <laughs> thing. And I think that's such a big reason why I wanted to have you on is because at the end of the day, yes, you are a professional lacrosse player. And yeah, you have a pretty big following and everything. But how many, how often do you get to sit back and talk about your community? and tell people about these awesome places you brought cookies for me today because you want to support the local shop but you also want to show it off to me and i think it's a beautiful thing well, because it's pretty banging too it is <laughs> i mean the cookie is unreal but it's like you i'm gonna i'm gonna have people in my ear oh chris is famous your show's supposed to not be all fancy but it's like no like you just told me a story that nobody has i mean i couldn't find it on the internet at least that you haven't been able to sit down and tell yet yeah. so yeah. i think it's as big as you are already, it's so cool to hear stories like that. And the, the way that you embrace your community, especially on social media, is something special because I think oftentimes it's easy to fall into the being negative about a community. Something bad happens. Yeah, it's sure. very oh, easy to turn on your community. I'm, I do it all the time. I'm from Vineland, New Jersey. It's bad shit happens every week. But yeah. sometimes I, if I sit back, I'm like, damn, this place really is beautiful. It's great. And I wish I would embrace it a little bit more. Yeah. Especially, I mean, this is kind of me just telling my own story here but it's like last week I'm, i show up to shoot at the local high school and there's these kids and they just they literally like have like hand-me-down sticks like sticks mm -hmm. we were using in like 2006 and they don't know anything about lacrosse but because i could go and show up and help them learn a little something and just push their lacrosse future a little bit forward that was one of the most like one coolest things i've ever done but it was just beautiful man because lacrosse is a game that's still growing each and every day and if you can grow it in a community like philadelphia like the inner city or vineland new jersey it's one of those things and i feel like you kind of lead the charge and do that for so many different people through your story and initiatives it's and look it's, it's easy and you don't have to truly have i won't say an affiliation but you know uh everyone always asks you know why do you do that why do you do, why do you talk about this place why do you talk about this neighborhood it's like well one i live here two i used to live in this one you know I mean, you go to these places, you get to know the managers, you get to know the waitresses, you get to know the attendees, you get to know the workers, you get to know the people in your community. And that's like, like that part, that's fun. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, and look, a lot of it, we're talking about like being on social media, but going to these places, like the art of conversation, 
kind of is lost at times and I get that and that's you know I won't say that's not a generational thing I don't feel like an old guy and all that um, but like that part's easy and community engagement you know the, the one thing that always jumps out to me is you know giving back you're as an athlete you must give back to your community and at some point you will um, you know Special Olympics is near and dear to my heart um, you know I am a Special Olympics ambassador here for Special Olympics of Philadelphia um, and that's just one avenue, you know what I mean? And headstrong lacrosse. And like, I'll go through the litany of things that I support um, because it's your job to give back. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, my wife, you know, is a school teacher. She's a principal. You know, we have a young daughter. There are so many things that we are going to continue to be involved with because it, you know, it will better our family. It will better the growth of our daughter, but it will be better for our community, you know. Um, you know, I grew up in a family you know, of teachers, cops, and firemen. Um, you know, that's the art of giving back is right there. Yeah, right? literally. Um, and like that's and sure, like that's where you know I you know began you know my sense of community. You know, my grandparents were both in the service. My grandfather's, you know, a New York City police detective. Like all the like community-driven people, um, and that has always stuck with me. Um, through and through and as an athlete like you you need to use your platform for good um, and that stuff only came natural you know to me for me it wasn't I was trying to do something different or wanting to be different like you know me as a goaltender I feel like I'm different already you know I, mean? <laughs> yeah. so I rock that like as it is believe me I'm quirky enough and weird enough like the fashion side of it the hats the shoes like I'm not trying to do anything I'm just being myself um and I'm just continuing to do my best to be a, a good version, the best version of myself in my community. And, you know, obviously wearing a whole bunch of different hats, but, you know, representing the Philadelphia Wings, you know, my family, my wife, my daughter, but also just some dude who lives in Queen Village and hangs out and says hello to people who walk their dogs and this and that. Like, it's real easy at times that people forget, like, being yourself doesn't have to be anything fancy, you know, and then um, I'm slowly figuring out that less is more. Um, took me a long while to figure that out, but, um, you know, your sense of community, um, I mean, it's just as simple as, you know, I, don't, I never really like throwing religion into it. Um, but, and again, you know, the, the church that we got married in, the church that we kind of, you know, call our parish and, you know, call... Uh, you know, just another different option of, you know, finding ways to, you know, be a part of the community and like, you name it. The easiest thing to do, I think, without joking, is to walk into a restaurant, walk into a coffee shop and post up and just nine times out of 10, everyone's on their phone, everyone's on a computer. There's usually one person that's like looking for eye contact. You're like, oh, hey, man, you know, have a good day. All right. See you. Yeah. Like that type of stuff. And that's Maybe that little human connection is all they were looking for and needed that day. You yeah, know? right, no doubt. And uh, and and you know the the beauty of being in a city is that you know you have all of these things at your disposal. You know, at the drop of a hat. Um, but we get out. We love the city. You know, my wife grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania. You know, her her family's from the Midwest, from St. Louis. So, um, you know, we got some Midwest ties, and um, you know, love our country music and hanging out in the city and. Um, and just being ourselves, and I think uh, I think that gets lost sometimes. And I, the game of lacrosse has allowed me to, you know, to kind of keep that focus, to kind of keep that scope narrow, but understand that you know you need to cast a wide net to really kind of 
understand the world you're living in and the city of Philadelphia is a beautiful place um, we love it like I said we'll continue to embrace it and um, until it kicks it out you know until it kicks us out um, but we love it totally man well this has been phenomenal I mean I feel like I've learned a million things in the last hour and 20 minutes but before we turn off the mics do you have anything you want to share like plug do you have any accounts that you uh, any sponsors you need to get out there any anything you need to uh, help share to the world um, I mean my note to everybody is one obviously always give back um, to uh, you know when you're when you're talking about a plug um, there's a unbelievable um, fashion design company from out west called Sweat Taylor. Sweat Taylor. Um, Sweat Taylor. Um, Adam Bolden, who is a uh, former Philly guy, is now in San Diego. Um, check it out. All right. Uh, fashion everything from the boardroom to the beach, to super comfy sweats and joggers and and jeans and. This guy has revolutionized my wardrobe. That's amazing. Um, it is, it is sick stuff. Um, I won't say that's my plug. That's that's what I want to share with everybody. Um, you know, as a lacrosse player, we don't get you know these big time endorsements and all that. But like a company that I am so on right now, one that has you know shown me some love, um, one that everyone should definitely get out and check out. Sweat Taylor, no doubt. Um, it will surprise you how super comfy this is. Um, wearing a sweatshirt right now. Oh, hell yeah. It looks comfy. I was wondering that while you were talking, actually. There you go. It looked great. <laughs> well, hey, man, Sweat Taylor, uh, maybe we'll work on like a Herm 20 swipe up code or something for them yeah. one day. I got you. <laughs> um, this has been great, man. It was beautiful. It was amazing. But um, thank you. And uh, we'll have to have you again on soon because, yeah. you for know, me, man. This was there's great. so much to talk about. As always, I have to thank Chris for coming on the show. I mean, for someone who's experienced so much life and honestly is just an inspiration to me each and every day, that was something special. And honestly, an interview that I've been waiting to do for a really long time because as much as Chris and I cross paths and we always have a great conversation, we've never been able to sit down and record one. So to be able to get that out for you guys was truly something special for me. But I want to I want to go back to something that he said, and this is this is a quote that stuck out for me from the moment he said it through the rest of the interview. I didn't have a chance to bring it back up, but I'm going to talk about it now. He said, "Being yourself doesn't have to be anything fancy," and this is something that really just set in for me as, as someone who posts on social media every day is considered a content creator of sorts. I feel not a pressure in any sorts to be fancy, but I definitely feel as though there is a stigma that comes with what I do. And I believe that you guys expect a certain level of, not fanciness, I think that would be a bit of a strong term, but there's a there's a level of, there's an expectation there that I feel like I'm obligated to obtain. So with that, I think that this is something that a lot of people can put into their daily lives. Because we often strive to be the person that we can be on social media or the person that we can be behind a screen. But 
being yourself doesn't have to be fancy. Being yourself is just saying hi to someone at the coffee shop or the deli. Being yourself is being the genuine person that you want to be, the person that you want to represent on the streets each and every day. And that's something that Chris embodies to a T. I mean, he walks around the streets of Philadelphia, be it with his family or by himself, and he'll say hi to anybody. He wants to know stories. And that's kind of completely embodying the anybody and everybody mentality. He is willing to hear from anybody and everybody, whether they're big or small, what no matter the impact they've made on the world, whether you're a professional athlete or a firefighter or a teacher, Chris is not going to judge you, nor am I. And I think that it's really amazing to hear his story and be able to really work off of that and hear the different things that motivate him in life. I mean, he is not somebody who takes any day for granted. He really truly wakes up every day and is just so proud of who he is and everything that he represents. So Chris, I mean, that was just phenomenal. That the stories that he tells, the names that he drops are really what just made my jaw drop. I mean, Frick, in the first couple of minutes there, we're talking about Paul Carcaterra and Rick Beardsley, and we're not even 45 seconds into the interview, so that was really awesome. But, Chris, thank you again for coming on. I have a few housekeeping things just for the podcast. One, the next episode will be up on Tuesday, and I didn't hint... So I hinted to the next guest on last episode. He's one of my great friends from college, and he really tells some great stories. And he's not a lacrosse guy, which is interesting because I've gone two lacrosse guys here in a row. But I felt that this Chris Collins interview was too good not to get right up, especially since it was his first interview since taking the job as Redwood's assistant coach. So as always, it has been an absolute pleasure to come here and talk to you guys. If you haven't already, make sure that you follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, so that you can stay up to date with everything that's going on in my life. I try and post videos every day, and I try and keep my content interesting. So, thank you again for listening. I can't wait to hear the feedback on this episode because Chris is truly one of a kind, and that was an unreal conversation. But as always, stay grooving, and I will catch you guys next week. <laughs>